1: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We are going to be talking about none other than Crystal Dilworth. That is Very right. excited to do this Crystal bad boy. Crystal Dilworth. Yeah, buddy. This is, the,
0: this is a change up in the intro.
1: Yes. And by the way, she um, she mentions comic books or stories. She mentions storytelling, I should say, which put comic books on my mind because right now I'm researching Daryl DMC McDaniels for the main episode of Impact Theory. I'm super excited about that. And anybody that shares my passion for that kind of narrative, TV shows, movies, all that good stuff, do check out our new channel, which is Impact Theory Studios, which you can find on YouTube Dive right in. But only go there and follow that if you're interested in filmmaking, storytelling through the lens of mindset. Yeah. It's not like our typical content.
0: Yeah. It's definitely a lot of changes, a lot of new sort of content we're putting out, different strategy. And I should mention that After Impact, for at least right now, is um, exclusively on the podcast. Yes. We're no longer doing this on YouTube or Facebook. So it's just for you, podcast listeners. What's just up, for podcast? You. What's up? Um, so yeah, today we are talking about Crystal Dilworth. Uh, this is the episode where we unpack the impact of her episode of Impact Theory. As you know, you've listened to this before on the podcast. Let's just, ju- let's dive right in. Let's do it. All right. Water is um, warm. The water is warm. Let's, um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about one thing that really struck me in the beginning of the episode was how she said, you know, I just... I didn't know that there was any other way than discipline. That a lot of my accomplishments early on, um, I succeeded because I didn't know that there was any other option, and that really struck me um, as something profound. And I wanted to ask you about that. And then I have a, so I'll let you dive in. But then I have a question too about: Do you think limitations are conditioned into us at an early age? Whoa! So yes,
1: definitively, uh, I am horrified by how important the early years are for people. Um, I'll explain why I'm horrified by that in a second. And then Crystal talked about that just from a brain structure standpoint, a brain development standpoint. And man, you have to ask, like how advantageous is it for us that we are like this gigantic sponge when we're young. And that while I'll, I've always thought about the delay of higher level cognition being wildly problematic, and I always say youth is the enemy of us all. And uh, that's really how it felt for me going through it. But it's, it is so interesting to think that there's actually an upside mm. to the fact that our brains don't develop. And she put her finger on it, which is you you really are um, not stopping ideas from coming into your mind the way that we do as adults you don't have um, guards up against it and so storytelling is even more powerful for kids and I think that it's it remains the most powerful thing for adults but I think that as a kid like I have to admit man the stories we talk about this in the episode the stories from my youth like have a place in my identity, my consciousness, my emotional center in a way that movies that I've encountered as an adult don't. And I find that it gets worse with like every passing day, like for something to really become like a part of who I am either. And this I was going to say either, you know, storytelling is getting worse or I'm just getting hardened to it. And I don't think it's getting worse. And I think some of the stuff that's happening on TV in particular is magical. But like Game of Thrones, which I love, doesn't own me the way that Star Wars did hmm. or does, continues to, right? So that's really fascinating. Now, the reason I think that it's horrifying, that I'm absolutely terrified by how much people's early years impact them. You don't need a license to be a parent. Not everybody has thought through um, the most effective way to parent and I think there's a huge amount of the butterfly effect um, to raising kids where you might do let, let's say you have two kids and your parenting your natural parenting style is perfect for one of them and an absolute atrocity for the other and what do you do like what do you do and these are these are like reason number 472 why I don't have kids. It's like yeah. that that literally terrifies me yeah. because I I am the way that I am. I view the world the way that I view the world. And the thought that like I would have to set, like maybe that works for one kid and not the other, or maybe it works for none. And so I found myself, you know, I've in this imagined world, I find myself paralyzed. like a parallel like, universe. In a parallel universe. Right. As Dr. Dilworth talked about. Yes. Um, what would I do? And so I think so many kids, so many adults are victims of the mentality that was, Implanted in them as children, and I think that um, that that's probably one of the most common themes that I see. Like when we do um, the the AMA series, where people are, you know, something really bad happened to them, yeah. and like, how do I get past that? How do I let that go? Um, and so, oh wow, that is just really, really scary. So for all the good things that can be implanted, um, I think that a lot of people get off to a rough start. So how do you
0: how do you overcome that? I guess is, is the
1: well, so I know this is something you wanted to talk about later, uh, but this is the real answer. So Pachinko, I think, yeah. is, is the perfect example. It's, it is certainly how I've combated it. So if you've never seen one of those machines... Um, or if you've
0: seen The Price is Right, the Price is right it's, plink, it's called Plinko. There. But the I've never seen that. Yeah, but the and game somebody, is called Pachinko, but the Price is Right has its own term for it. Okay. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's like the bake-o in you coming out right now. Oh yeah, I love Price is Right. <laughs> Come on now. Amazing. Still love it. <laughs> so yeah i uh i i find that like imagery of the ball or i don't know if it's a ball or it's like whatever. a disc okay it, on of, yeah. prices right so like it it's hitting all of these things which change the trajectory of that item so if you think of that item as a belief uh, thought whatever that is going through your mind i've put all of these things into place these mechanisms habits routines belief system All things that that idea has to encounter so that even if it's really negative when it first drops into the machine, by the time that it gets to the outcome, it's bounced into so much of my ideology Mm -hmm. that it, it is going to end up positive. There's going to be something that I'm going to take away from that. So even if it's something horrific, the meteorite example that I use all the time, getting hit by a drunk driver, like if I'm still alive on the other side of that, there's going to be a positive. I just I force every idea to come out usable. Yeah. So, and I think that's the only way to combat it. So if you had a rough childhood and you just have all these negative beliefs, things aren't, aren't helping you, you, you just need two things. Just two. And dear podcast listener, if you're driving, pull over, take notes on this one. Number one, you need to believe that humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. Like you just have to believe that we can change. Once you believe that you can change, then it's like, now I just need to know in number two, what direction I want to change. And you bring those two things together. You decide. So if you've got all this negative, hurtful, painful baggage, one, humans can adapt and change. Two, I, I get to pick the direction that I want to go in. And we, this is also something that we talk about in the episode where, okay, if your brain is encased in total darkness and the perturbations of the air, which we read as sound, never reach my brain. So I know that my brain is recreating something and it's doing its best guess, but there's going to be inevitable lies, mistakes, biases, whatever in that process. How many lies are being told to me? And can I take control of that process? And the answer is a lot of lies and yes, you can control the process. So if you orient yourself towards that goal, right? The direction that you want to change in and you know that you're malleable, now all of a sudden you can just take over, you can co-opt everything that's happened to you, find a way to think about it in a positive manner
0: and move forward. But you, those two things are where you have to start. Yeah, I loved uh, what you mentioned in the episode, which is, I think you said, constructing an advantageous reality, which I think is super powerful. I want to ask, when, when we go back to this Pachenko analogy, um, when you encounter a negative situation at the top of that game, and you're just dropping the coin in to use your belief system to mold it into something positive, can you also take things away from, let's say, the uh, the ne- the negative aspects of that idea? Like are there things you can learn from that in the process of the the Pachinko kind of ball going through your belief system? a yes um
1: you, it sounded like you started to ask a slightly different question which is is there power in the negative as well
0: or am i yeah it's i guess it's i i see the value in transforming an idea from a negative one into a positive one that's mm-hmm. then empowering but i also think that there are things to learn potentially from when we might first analyze the situation as negative like there's i think there's There are insights to pull out of that as well. That's my hypothesis, but I want to get your thoughts.
1: 100%. So when I say that it's it's going to come out, quote-unquote, positive... What I mean is usable. So it's going to be advantageous. And part of the, and this is advanced class stuff, but part of the advantageousness, (laughs) I think that's a word, (laughs) of it is being able to really look at and understand where you went wrong, how you failed, that you failed, to really nakedly stare at that. And then to go, okay, now that I've really taken on board this lesson, the advantageous part of it, the usability of it, is that I know those two things we were just talking about, that humans are the ultimate adaptation machine, and that I can now move myself, my knowledge, my beliefs, my attitudes, my literal brain wiring into a new direction based on being willing to look at the fact that I just failed. Mm -hmm. And in the episode, she talked about something where she said the brain really hates being wrong. And I wish we'd gone deeper on that Mm -hmm. because, dude... This, this is, I think, the most fundamental thing. And this is my obsession with self-esteem and what you build your pride around. Like, it really fucking matters. And once you understand that your brain is messing with you, it does not want to be wrong by default, which means that's why everybody's building their self-esteem around being right, being smart, being good, talented, all of that by default. And it's, it is way dis advantageous. And so you've got to switch that over to recognizing just like you're saying that there's power in the negative, there's power in the failure,
0: there's power in the loss, but you have to be willing to look at it. You have to be able to take it on board. Yeah, I love that. Um, Slightly uh, change in direction here. Um, I really liked Crystal's uh, metaphor of the mountain uh, that you're, you know, you asked the question of, she's trying to wean herself off of type A personality traits and you asked why and she said you know I think a lot of people are climbing a mountain and they're not understanding why they're climbing that mountain so I just wanted to have you kind of break down that metaphor again and then also ask um, what does that mean that metaphor mean with regards to success and happiness and does it relate to your life experience in any way
1: so first the analogy as she used it is if you see a mountain and you want to climb it. That's amazing. And the mountain for her is type a personality success traits, because she said in an interview that I'd heard that type a personalities may be exactly the roadmap to success, but I don't know that they're necessarily the roadmap to happiness. Yeah. Now the fascinating thing is later I um, asked her, like, do you think if you had kids is happiness the highest value? And she said, absolutely not. So yeah. that like, I was, Whoa, like really surprised. Um, But she was using that example to say in that moment, yes, that assuming that you want happiness as a part of your life, that having the type A personality trying to climb the mountain, if that's not really your thing, may not be very effective. And so she contrasts the mountain with the ocean. And she says, look, you may be looking at everybody. Everybody in society may be telling you the climbing of the mountain is the only thing that's really valuable success that you need to succeed at some high level. But if the sea is what's calling to you and you want to go swim, you might as well, as she said, run the experiment where you go try it, swim and see, do I actually prefer this to climbing the mountain? And that's really, really interesting. And even even in my life, dude, like that really is something I think about a lot Mm. and I'm constantly gut checking myself against like, would I rather be climbing the mountain, which is really hard, takes a lot of time and attention, is a massive amount of risk. Um, The things you have to optimize for cognitively efficiency, which efficiency causes many problems in my relationship with my wife. Like Mm -hmm. if I were to pick one, like what's the one thing that causes more of the problems that you have than anything else? It is my, like I have cultivated an obsession, an all consuming obsession with efficiency. Mm -hmm. My whole thing about checking like where, where am I for the last three hours? And oh God. Do you remember where we're going? Because I, I really want to derail for a second, but I want to make sure that we're able to get back. I do. Okay. So just yesterday, I was not peak performance. I kept like checking myself at three hour intervals and I was mortified with what was going on. And I realized that I had two things that were colliding. So I'm right now, I'm doing an experiment. I'm not um, drinking anything other than water with like 3.5% Snapple. I've seen the water down Snapple. Right. It's essentially. So-
0: Water with Snapple for color.
1: Literally, I'm putting, I'm not joking, it's less than 3% of Snapple. And I'm doing that just because I want to like see what, like, I don't like how long I've not tried any other variation of this in my life. So I use just a lot of um, calorie free, caffeinated, carbonated beverages to manage my hunger. Now it's insanely effective at that. And because I don't feel the effects of um, caffeine, like, I cleave the caffeine molecule very, very easily. Almost certainly. I'm just going off of how I respond to it. So it doesn't, like I could drink caffeine and go right to sleep. It would just have no impact on me. However the carbonation everything the sweetness of it makes me feel full and I'm able to push meals off very very easily so I'm super fucking distracted right now because I'm both restricted calorie which I just live at restricted calorie so it's not I didn't do anything unusual but in stripping out those beverages I find myself really distracted by hunger wait why are you doing that again why am I stripping it out yeah honestly I want to see like if it has positive impacts on my skin oh okay. so I want to see like They talk about Mormons having like a radiant glow. And I thought, fuck it. I've never (laughs) tried it, right? So experiment. You got to try things. So want to see if it has any impact or not. And so I strip it out. Yesterday was day three. Not feeling any like... I don't get headaches or anything from not having caffeine. So literally going cold turkey had absolutely no impact from that perspective. But I'm really fucking hungry. And so like that obsession with efficiency, I had this collision of values. I set a goal. I was going to go a week without it, but now it's fucking with my ability to perform mm. in, in the thing that I care about. So bringing it all back around, cause I actually remember. So the, the type a, like the type a thing is, is kicking in now from both directions, right? Where I want to succeed at the business and I want to hold true to what I said I was going to do, yep. like come hell or high water. And it's like causing this schizophrenic, like thing with my values so I'm constantly, like, checking myself against that. Like, do I then just up my calories and say, fuck it? But that doesn't feel good from an identity type A perspective. Or, you know, do I keep type a it all the way? So I'm, I'm constantly, like, running um, my behavior through that filter of, mm-hmm. like, hey, are you really enjoying your life? Like, because to me, that's really important. A deep sense of fulfillment is is critical and the reason that I have just given myself over to the type A part is because in pursuit and I want to be really clear this this was easier to believe when I wasn't successful the pursuit is what I reward myself emotionally for. It is not the things that I've actually accomplished. It's just that the accomplishment has been an outcropping of being so like in love with pursuing, getting better, growing, trying, testing, actually holding myself accountable to results, all that. So yes, it that plays majorly into my life, but I
0: happen to love the type A stuff, which is part of why I was so intrigued by what she said. Yeah, that's super interesting. And then have you like going back into your sort of career trajectory like did that resonate with you in any way her notion of climbing the mountain and then asking why am i climbing this mountain and then figuring that actually i want to be swimming in the sea
1: Um, If you'll let me sort of break the way that she was using the metaphor um, and because for her, the mountain is type A. So I've never abandoned the type A stuff, but I was chasing money for a very long time and Mm -hmm. realized, that okay, I'm just coming up like I'm so unhappy. Like at a neurochemical level, I'm really profoundly unhappy. I don't feel alive. I'm flirting with depression like this just is not. But you were
0: successful.
1: Yeah. I mean, look. Yes, but there's levels to this shit, sure, as they say, and so I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life, for sure. I had ownership in a company on paper. I was a multimillionaire, but like, let's all be really, really honest about the difference between on paper and reality. So reality, I just felt like I was making a, a really good living. I didn't feel successful yet, um, but I was really, really miserable. And so I was like, the the beauty of it is I'll never find myself in that situation again because I know what it's like. So I'm what they call a hard gainer in the bodybuilding vernacular in that I don't find it easy to lose fat, I don't find it easy to gain muscle. so everything just hey, every which way you turn it's hard. Um, I'm the same in business. I have to learn every lesson the hard way. like I really really want to be a wise man. they say a fool never learns. A smart man learns from his mistakes and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And I really, really, really want to be wise. And I find that I live all of my life between fool and smart. Um, So but thankfully, when I learn lessons the hard way by making my own mistakes, by going through the emotional turmoil, I come out the other side where it is it, it. it's a part of me. Mm. So I'll never be back in that scenario where I'm chasing money. I know what it feels like to be alive and to have the things you're pursuing give you more energy than they take. Um, So, but that's the only time I've ever felt that in my life where it was like, I've just, I'm chasing money plain and simple and it is making me profoundly unhappy. And so I'm going to switch up, but all still type a, I'm just now going to do like what I care about the things I'm passionate about helping other people like a type a psychopath. (laughs) So, That's awesome. I can attest to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> More than most. Yes, you can.
0: Um, w- w- Crystal says that uh, brains are lazy. And if you train your brain to reframe um, sort of her examples, negative situations and the positive ones, it will ultimately choose that route because it's the fastest and easiest. I know you've talked a lot about neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm. I wonder if you could go in a little bit deeper on that topic um, and if you have any um, tips for sort of building that pathway. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: so the definitively I have tips and the way that this, um, all works is you just repetition, 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 repetition. So in the beginning, you're combating that notion of the brain is lazy and not even the notion like definitively feeling everything about it feels weird and awkward when you're first trying to introduce a new behavior, a new Mm. piece of identity, like whatever it is you're trying to do, it feels totally fake. And that's why people say fake it till you make it, um, which is like this really controversial thing. So I want to use like different words because I really want people to hear it. But it's like just like if you want to get great at a sport, at first you're going to suck. Like that's just the truth. And so you have to show up every day and do it and be committed to getting good. So if we could all just embrace that that's what people mean when they say fake it till you make it you have to put yourself in a situation you have to give yourself the best odds of success which are to go through the actions with as much grace and poise as humanly possible like you don't walk onto a basketball court if that's what you're trying to get good at and go I'm really clumsy and then exacerbate that in your every attempt and just be like fuck it I'm clumsy and so you you know, enhance that, you've got to go in and say, okay, people that are good at this, there's a level of grace and you try to build that grace into your movements right from the beginning and focusing on that. So that I think is what people mean when they say fake it till you make it certainly what I mean. And so you're going to go through this repetition until the neurons really are wiring together. Now, what do we mean by wire together? So you're sending electrochemical signals between the synapses and you can actually make it so that those, um, travel faster. And the way that we do that is a process called myelination, where you're actually wrapping fatty tissue around those connection points so that you're insulating it so that the certainly electricity can travel faster. And we're now outside of what I actually understand. I don't know if it helps the chemical part as well. Um, I'll say yes, but I don't actually know that. But the end result is it becomes really, really easy to do certain things. So you can even think about your own little um, ticks that people have, right? That you probably brush your teeth with the same hand. You probably brush them in the same way that you get ready in the morning in the same order. Like there's just deadly efficiency to all of that, That whole process, the way that you move. I dry myself off after the shower in the same pattern. So it's like we just... Our brain is always trying to optimize, as Dr. Dilworth said, to so it can get back into what she called lazy, which is often referred to as the um, default neuronal network. Mm-hmm. So you're getting into just like that, that default network where that's how you can drive to work and then be like, whoa, I've just been driving for the last 45 minutes. So your brain slips into doing the things that it's always doing. So th- that's the mechanism behind it. Now, the actual things you wanna be doing One, it's going to be identity. So identity drives behavior. So if you actually want to create a new habit loop or something like that, you're going to need to start by saying, I'm the type of person that, whatever it is. So if like by nature, I'm super, super lazy. So I've got to say, I'm the type of person that despite being lazy, always overcomes that to do things moving towards my goals, right? I'm the type of person that doesn't believe that which moves me towards my goals. I'm the type of person that like, I've got, Jesus, 150 of these things, right? My protocols, which I still owe you. Yes. And so the, the protocols are the things you're going to be building in. So, um, one of those protocols is for me overcoming laziness, which I think is, um, given what she said, probably a big struggle for a lot of people. Um, yeah, rather than get into like all of the different ones that I have, it's like, what's your goal and what protocols are going to be necessary to get you there? Like you're going to end up having to identify those if you want like the 25, Simplest. They're not written in protocol format, but they're written in belief format. So the belief system. So if you go to impacttheory.com right now, you can download my belief system. Uh, and it's those 25 things are the first 25 you're going to want to adopt and put into your mind as beliefs to make sure that you're running your whatever idea, whatever situation through those um, so you can do anything you set your mind to without limitation. That's a lie, but it's an empowering lie. We do and believe that which moves us towards our goals, right? So yeah. it's things like that that will come to your aid and help you optimize. has it and with eBay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply
0: nice i want to talk about um crystal and her the way that she thinks about emotions today so this is later in the episode um, she said it early in on early on in her career, she wanted to understand all the neurochemistry, all the neuroscience um, around, like she really wanted to intellectualize and rationalize things so that she could really understand how the mind works. And then she said, now I've started to really try to listen to my emotions and use those as the way to guide my decisions. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get your reaction to that just because you've talked a lot about emotions and how you can't necessarily trust them or act on them. And of course, you've studied the brain a lot. And you have I think you mentioned in the episode, like you want to think about what are the actual mechanism, mechanisms behind it so that you can then make decisions. So just wanted you to dive into that a little yeah.
1: bit. Yeah. Oh, man, this is so fascinating. So A, I am so, so grateful to every guest that comes on the show. I love it when ideas aren't the same as mine so that yeah. I can learn and expand my way of thinking. Having said that, I think that for negative emotions that's really terrible advice. Mm. And I get it like from love, love is amazing. Yeah. Love is a fun ride. Like going on that ride and being swept away, it still happens to me routinely where I'll just look at my wife and just this swell of fucking emotion and and I just ride it, man. Yeah. So like super super fun. For sure for sure. However, I think everything needs to be run through. Is this useful or not? And the example that I gave in the episode, I think, is is really spot on. When I fell in love with my wife, and it was this just overwhelming cascade of emotion unlike anything i'd ever experienced in my life and the example that i give in the episode is what my mom said to me about love which is you'll know you're in love when you're convinced that no two people have ever felt this way before love that such a good description that's great and that is exactly how i felt when i fell in love with my wife i was like the world would cease like nobody would do anything you wouldn't even eat if people felt the way that i feel about my wife right now i mean or the girlfriend at the time so i was like yep this this is it And so that was a lot of fun to go on a ride with. However, I knew that if I don't recognize that this is a transient moment in the neurochemistry of love, that this fades away, then I'm going to fall prey like every other drug addict who chases love is their drug, where they get into a relationship. The neurochemistry, which lasts, I mean, God, if you're lucky, two to four months, like that sort of hyper-intense, drug-like reaction. And then it changes into something else and you get spikes and you know the deep bonding and trust and all of that begins to take over. But it's very, very different from a neurochemical standpoint. It is not the high highs. It's like that it's fulfillment versus a bowl of ice cream. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very different. And I think that there are people that just get in a loop of, they think something's wrong with the relationship when they don't feel that drug-like effect anymore. But the fact is you will never feel like that in any sustained fashion. That's just not how the brain works so like even outright terror only lasts for so long and then people just fucking resign themselves to well i guess this is gonna happen right Mm -hmm. so um that that's just the nature of the brain so because i had read so much about the brain because i understood love as a neurochemical response i said to my wife while we were girlfriend at the time while we were like in this crazy high i was like this is going to wear off And because we know that this is going to wear off and this is going to change into something else, let's be prepared for it now and let's really appreciate what we have now, but then look forward to and appreciate the next phase, which is going to be more about long term bonding. It's going to be about trust. It's going to be about companionship so that we can see the beauty in that stuff as well, which because we were prepared for that. That's exactly what we saw. Mm. And so you end up spending the vast majority of your relationship, if you're lucky. So if we got four months, let's say we got six. Let's say we got a year of just insane drug-like chemical, which isn't true. And I don't think anybody does. But even if you extend that out, we've been together 17 years. So it's like 16 years have been in the the pair bonding, the oxytocin, the um, serotonin, the long-term connection and sense of well-being, trust, and all of that so anticipating it because I understood the brain because I spent so much time reading about it and the neurochemistry and all of that we it's it has only gotten better and my focus just shifted to what does it mean to share experience what does it mean to share a life how do you share a life like how do you optimize for getting a Deep sense of well-being from being connected and trusting and supporting each other, and it was from all of that that I started conceptualizing. The most important thing in a relationship is feeling better about yourself when you're around that person. That you should make them feel better about themselves when they're around you than when they're not. To be supportive. To always think long-term. Like those are the things that have fed into the success of our relationship. So I get the temptation to just ride the emotion, and I think it's easier for people to understand when it's negative emotion. Yeah, it's. Not going to bring you a lot of benefit. Um, So really, one, going back to what you said at the very beginning where, yes, I do the Pachanko thing where I force it to become useful, Mm -hmm. but also really looking at the negative. So if I'm hit by a negative emotion, it's not like I pretend I'm not feeling it. I just try to process it into something usable as rapidly as possible.
0: Yeah. So negative and positive emotions you first kind of run them through this protocol you would say is it useful what should I do with it is that fair? yeah
1: it, that's fair to say now in the beginning it was I experienced the emotion first and then I really thought about like whoa what is this why am I feeling this way good or bad uh, and I was probably a lot slower to actually I was really slow to respond to either and I've talked about this a lot um, I, it's very it takes a very long time for me to get angry, but once I get angry, I used to, I would stay angry for hours and hours and hours, and I remember thinking, God, this is such a waste of time, and so now, going back to my obsession with efficiency, so now it's like I try to metabolize that emotion as fast as humanly possible. So I suppose the, the honest answer is even now, I still experience the emotion first, But I don't have to do the work of like, what is this? Why am I feeling this way? Mm. It's like it immediately goes into a habit loop. So the negative emotion, the positive emotion, whatever it is, triggers a habit loop to either make use of the positive emotion, which I'll give you a real example. So if I get hit with, whoa, my wife is beautiful, that hits the habit loop or triggers the habit loop of externalize your feelings. So I'll tell her, man, like you really look amazing right now. If I'm struck like, i'm sure you get this with your wife just every now and then, randomly you'll be out somewhere else and you'll see like another couple talking and just like the way they look at each other will remind you of your wife and mm-hmm. you're like oh man you just you love her in that moment like the just presence of that feeling is there it's real even though she's not with you mm-hmm. and so that for me triggers the habit loop of externalize so i'll text her and be like just a long text of what exactly what I'm feeling. Some really mushy, like truly authentic, but like over the top, like this is where I'm at. Fuck, I love you so much. Like this, sharing this life with you is the greatest gift in my life, which is all true. And so even though those are positive emotions, they still trigger a habit loop.
0: Yeah, and my question after that was going to be for positive emotions, do you action on them immediately, which you just answered. And I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear your response because I think for a long time I struggled with And this might've been an efficiency thing or a lazy thing of you hit, you have that moment and it's always fleeting when you see the couple and then you think of the person you love and then you don't do anything, you know, I'll tell them later and you don't do anything and then it passes. And so I've really tried the past few years to like just text somebody immediately or or just externalize it like you said. And it feels so much better because it feels like there's resolution to the thought, you know?
1: Yeah, dude, that's super, super smart. And then on top of the feeling of resolution, there's something to the words you write when you're really feeling it, just have something special. Mm. And I don't know what it is. I I don't know, man. But it's like, even in written word, I think people feel it. Mm. In a way that they won't otherwise. And in fact, for everybody out there, that's a real impactivist that's signed up to the newsletter. First of all, thank you. That is probably the place where I'm, I feel the most connected and intimate with people. And I'm not even sure why, because it's the thing where I get the least real time feedback. But every time I write a newsletter, I won't write it until I feel something, which is why I never know what I'm going to write about because it's like, I've got to feel it. And so like yesterday you hit me up and I was so proud of myself. I'd finished the article for success magazine. I was like, fuck yeah, man, I am ahead. This is amazing. And because I finished it on time, you were like, don't forget the newsletter. And I was like, God damn it. And I'm like more to do. But then I was like, I want to like, find something. So I was like going through um, the, the chapters for the book. And I'm going through, I'm going through, and like one really hit me emotionally right at that moment, which is exactly why I was doing it. I was That's like, awesome. I want to go through until yeah. I find one that just like, it's what I need right at that moment. It's what I'm thinking about, whatever. And I hit it, and I was like, fuck yeah. And I started to write. And then I was listening to a song, and the song had a lyric. And the lyric like just took over everything. And so I scrapped it and I just went like from the lyric. And I was like, this is why I love the newsletter. Because it I end up like really capturing some emotion, like really strong emotion, and then talking to the community in that state, like right then and there. Which means, by the way, the newsletters forgive me if the writing in and of itself is bad. But I just I it is a total like real-time, one pass, raw motion, like boom, here it is and so yeah capturing it in that moment which by the way if you haven't signed up for the newsletter go to the website Please uh sign up for that bad boy because it it it's once a week i get let an emotion get their hooks in me and then i just fucking write
0: yeah it's very intimate how's that feel so i encourage you to go check it out all right last question um I really liked when Crystal said, there's a lot we've already accomplished that we don't look at as an accomplishment. And it reminded me of David Goggins and his cookie jar. Um, That's interesting. So build your cookie jar. Make sure you have those things that you're proud of, that you can draw on when you need to. Um, What can people do do to better reflect on their accomplishments?
1: Dude, I love your contributions to the show. I cannot thank you enough because that is not at all how I took that moment, oh, really? which is really, really interesting. interesting. So I'm gonna—I'll I'll answer the question that you asked. Though, I—I um, I think it's—it is important and dangerous all at the same time. If you want to climb the mountain, okay? yeah. if you don't want to climb the mountain, then it's just important. So it's going to build your sense of identity and that is critical and to look at your accomplishments and really be proud of them is important to build yourself up to have that confidence you're going to need that and I think people need self-esteem and I think that pride is actually important and the fact that people um, shit on it to me is crazy what you build your pride around now that is it can be gross can be icky. It can be disgusting. And that I get when somebody builds their self-esteem around being better than other people, being smart, being naturally gifted. Like, yes, you're going to seem like an asshole, but everybody needs to feel good about themselves. Plain and simple period. Just got to be. And that's a huge, huge driver of human behavior. Huge. Like if you don't feel good about yourself, you're people start doing crazy shit to feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. So recognizing, okay, I'm gonna go to some pretty crazy lengths to feel good about myself. So what then I choose to feel good about is very, very important. Feel good about things that build you up, build other people up, open you up to be more receptive to feedback, open you up to results, to actually getting better. But assuming that you do that and you're building your self-esteem around something that's beautiful, then really spending time in your accomplishments is, is important. Now, the reason that I think it's dangerous is because I think people stop at the most minor of accomplishments and then that's it. They never go any farther. Now, again, this is for mountain climbers. I'm not talking about the people that just want to chill. But if you want to mountain climb, if you agree with me that the meaning of life for an animal whose soul, like wiring, is to adapt and grow, then you should be pushing yourself every day. Why? Because the level of fulfillment you will get for doing that is unparalleled by anything. So the pursuit, remember, for me, it's about the pursuit. It is not about the getting. It is not about achieving success. It's about setting a goal, going after your goal, really being sincere about it, holding yourself accountable to metrics, making sure that you're actually moving towards it. But man, when you do that, there's just something in us that makes that the most profoundly fulfilling experience, especially because I make the assumption that the goal that you're pursuing, the skills that you're acquiring not only serve yourself, but they serve others as well. So that like when that's in the mix, and you're doing something rad for yourself and you're making your life better, but you're also helping other people. Oh, it's fucking incredible.
0: So um, on that note, what what can people do to better? So I guess my question is, do you think people should be trying to reflect on their accomplishments? How can you tell when it's a minor accomplishment versus a major accomplishment that you should hold on to?
1: So here's what I do. I, The dopamine system, it's important to realize, the dopamine system, which is the most terrifying and beautiful system that we have, is so uh to to give a real example if you take a rat and implant an electrode in their midbrain that allows them through a button to um, secrete dopamine which is like what lights up when you do cocaine and what um christmas eve is all about because you know christmas morning is coming dopamine isn't about having it's it's it is an anticipatory molecule that we find intensely pleasurable but it's about anticipation. It's not about having. So once you understand that the most potent chemical reward you're going to get is about anticipation, that that explains a lot about human beings. So the reason that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the things I've already gotten is because I I get so much pleasure, pleasure out of what I'm chasing. Mm. So by the time I get it, it's like that's cool. Like when we hit hundred thousand on Facebook, right? It was cool, but it was like, I'd already moved on to the next thing I'm anticipating because it's more enjoyable. Right. So I'm not doing it to like whip myself and Oh my God, I hate this. And that's the fun. Like that's right. the thing that wakes me up with excitement is I'm anticipating something that I'm working my ass off for. And I've so built into my nervous system that hard work equals awesome results. That hard work for me is fun. I pride myself on the willingness to work hard. And then it's just had so many real world corollaries in terms of making things better, being able to do cooler shit, um, having access to different people, having access to different experiences. Like hard work has led to that. And then I just build my self-esteem around a willingness to work that hard. So because I understand dopamine and it's all about the anticipation rather than the having, I'm not so like focused on the cookie jar but in a Goggins way, the cookie jar is in a moment of crisis. Mm-hmm. Do you have something to pull on? There I think it's important. So in that instance, really having a cookie jar just overflowing of amazing shit that you've done, that, that's very important because it's going to rescue you in down moments. That's awesome. That's it for
0: today for After Impact.
1: All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. I love doing these. Um, Definitely after you've listened to this episode since now, it's exclusive on the podcast. Hit me up. Write me on IG, shout out on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Let me know what you thought. Let me know what you want to see more of, what you want to see less of or hear less of. Uh, That would be amazing. And then right now, my obsession, I want to know if you're into movies, comic books, TV shows, anything media related, if you want to see the marriage of media and mindset, go to youtube.com forward slash impact theory studios. That's Impact Theory Studios. We're doing reviews. We're doing panel discussions. We're doing a lot of really cool content around that, the mindset that you can extract. Media changed my life. We need a better word for this. I want to call it movies and mindset, but the truth is that we review a whole bunch of other stuff. It's not just movies, but you get the idea. So what we're calling Real, R-E-E-L, Impact, Real Impact, check it out. That's our panel show. Uh, Just media changed my life. Movies shaped me. We were talking about this at the beginning of this episode. So go check it out, but only if you're into that stuff, because it's very different than the content that you're hearing right now. So guys, thank you so much for being a part of this community. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.